Now, in the passages that we're going to be covering today, we're going to be reading about two defining moments in the life of David. The last portion of chapter 16, there will, it was going to inform us how David went from being an unknown and unseen shepherd boy to a more visible member and one of King Saul's closest aides, one of his most visible members in his court and one of his closest aides. And in chapter 17, we're going to look at one of the most well-known stories in the entire Bible, how David defeated the mighty Goliath. Now, on the surface level, both these stories will show us how God uses both natural and supernatural gifts to accomplish his purposes. But on the deeper level, the end of the last portion of chapter 16 will illustrate the symbiotic way in which God will in which God's will and desire for our lives are worked out in the everyday affairs of life. And in chapter 17 there it's going to show us it will show us how David is an, is an example of the faithful and brave servant of Yahweh of God. And how through faith and action, God can use us to be victorious over his blasphemous enemies. So before we get into God's word, let's pray and ask him to speak to us this morning. Thank you, Lord, for this morning. We, I pray that you will bless this service, bless this message, Lord. May your word go out powerfully. May it touch the hearts of those here, Lord. May those that are watching and listening to this live, may you also touch them in a powerful way, Lord. May your word be deeply implanted into their hearts. Remove all distractions, anything that's going to keep them from really hearing what you have to tell them, Lord. For those watching this message later on, um, I pray that you will bless them too, Lord. That they will also get something out of, out of this entire message and that they will be blessed. They will be encouraged. And they will, be, and they will see, Lord, that you have a plan and purpose. Your will and plans are perfect, and, and nothing will thwart them, Lord. You're an amazing, wonderful, good, beautiful God, and we are so thankful that you brought us here, and that you're, we're children, and you care for us, and that you sent your son Jesus to die for us. So again, bless this time we have together now, Lord, and fill this room with your spirit. So speak to us now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 14. And the word of God says, Now the spirit of the Lord had left Saul, and an evil spirit sent from the Lord began to torment him. So Saul's servant said to him, You see that an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command your servants here in your presence to look for someone who knows how to play the lyre. Whenever the evil spirit from God comes on you, that person can play the lyre and you will feel better. Then Saul commanded his servants, find me someone who plays well 
and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He is also a valiant man, a warrior, eloquent, handsome, and the Lord is with him. Then Saul dispatched messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. So Jesse took a donkey, loaded it with bread, a wineskin, and one young goat, and sent them by his son David to Saul. David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul loved him very much, and David became his armor-bearer. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor with me. Whenever the Spirit of God came on Saul, David would pick up his lyre and play, and Saul would be relieved, feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. Now, we know from last week's passage that by this point, God had chosen David to one day replace Saul as king. And the moment in which Samuel anointed him as such in a private ceremony, it says there in verse 13 that the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on him. Well, just as the arrival of the Spirit marked David as someone destined and supremely fitted to become king of Israel, so the departure of the Spirit from Saul marks him as destined not to remain king. Now, before I continue to break down the rest of this passage, I just want to spend some time. I just want to spend a moment in verse 14 to try to clarify maybe some confusion. Confusions you may have, any questions that you may have in regards to that verse. See, this is also one of those passages that has been often misinterpreted and misapplied in such a way that has damaged or confused a lot of Christians. So again, it says there in verse 14 that the Spirit of the Lord had left Saul, and an evil spirit sent from the Lord began to torment him. First and foremost, I want you to understand this, that the Holy Spirit didn't indwell believers in the Old Testament era the way he does today. When a person today receives Christ as their Lord and Savior, in that moment, the Spirit of God comes upon that person and actually indwells that person forever. Listen again to, listen here to what Jesus said in John 14, verses 16 and 17. He said this, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the Spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. So again, it's forever. Okay, so with that being said, the question that trips a lot of people up when they read this is, if God is all good, why did he send a distressing spirit upon Saul? 
Well, there are two senses, two senses in which God may send something. He, he, said, he may send something in the active sense, and he may send something in the passive sense. Actively, God never initiates or performs evil. James 1.17 says, The uh, father of lights who does not change like shifting shadows. And passively, God may withdraw the hand of his protection and therefore allow evil to come without being the source of evil itself. So with everything that had taken place so far and everything that, had, everything that will occur afterwards, it appears that this is what happened to Saul. When the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, he lost his spiritual protection and covering. As soon as this happened, Satan was there and was more than ready to send a distressing spirit to fill the void in Saul. So, again, let me ask. This is an important question here. Should a believer be scared about God taking the Holy Spirit from them? Let me tell you, absolutely not. If you are a born-again believer, if you truly receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and by faith you, you did that, and the Holy Spirit came and made His home in you. And He lives, like I said, He lives inside of you permanently. Let me share with you what it says in Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 11. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. Well, this passage and several others make it clear that the moment the Holy Spirit makes his home in you, he dwells there permanently. And you know how this is evident? You want to know how you, you can absolutely know for sure whether the Holy Spirit has made his home in you? Well, it will become evident when you start to discover that you'll no longer be able to sin like you once used to and not be convicted of that sin. Yeah, at one time when you were an unbeliever, you didn't care whether it was a sin or not. And, you know, you probably did a bunch of stuff and didn't worry about what God thought or what anyone thought. You just did what you wanted what you wanted to do, what your flesh wanted to do, you just... But if you're a born-again believer, if you really have the Spirit in you, now there's... The Spirit of truth is in you now. That Spirit will always be there to convict you, no matter how bad it gets, no matter how much you've... Even if you walk away, the Spirit will always be there to convict you of sin. 
and your life again you, you you can no longer be like a worldly unbeliever you inside of you is, is, has been changed forever so don't allow no one or don't allow anyone to scare you into thinking that God can take his spirit from you like he did with Saul he won't because he loves you too much and also you're not Saul therefore my friends fear not but rather find peace and comfort in knowing that the Holy Spirit will continually be with you and in you. Now, there's another thing that I wanted to mention about verse 14, and it has to do with the part that mentions this evil spirit, how this evil spirit tormented Saul. It's unclear how he was being tormented, but we can safely assume that it was so frightening that it basically completely incapacitated him. Dr. Randall Short analyzed the king's problem the following way. King Saul would now be diagnosed as a typical example of manic depressive insanity. The periods of intense gloom with occasional outbreaks of homicidal violence for no particular reason. The delusion that people were plotting against them are unmistakable. Now, again, in this day and age, that would explain a lot of his behaviors and his actions that we're going to be seeing throughout the rest of this chapter and or throughout the rest of this book and in 2 Samuel. But we need to keep in mind that Saul wasn't dealing with a mental or psychological disorder. Rather, his problem was spirit was a spiritual one in nature. Let me say this. This is important. I absolutely believe this with all my heart. But as Christians, we need to be careful about assuming that all mental disorders are spiritual in nature and vice versa. This can be dangerous. I met people and I've heard people say that, you know, psychological disorders mental disorders are just are all spiritual attacks and you just got to pray it away and if you have enough faith you know it'll go away well they must have they must really not know someone who's been suffering from ptsd who's been suffer, who's suffered some severe trauma who has uh, just serious issues there it's real and it's and it can be severe having been around it as i was growing up and having experienced it myself psychological disorders are as real as any physical disorder yeah they may be different it may be different than ms it may be different than you know some kind of uh Again, physical disorder, but it's a disorder nonetheless. And it's important, it's necessary that those who are suffering from it, if any of you are suffering from it, 
it's important. I definitely highly recommend it that you be properly diagnosed and treated by a mental professional. And yes, even if it means you know, medication, yes. You know, and if anybody is a has an issue with taking medication, you know, yeah, I wonder what you do when you get migraines and headaches and, you know, um, I don't know if you suck it up or, you know, or whether you think taking an aspirin is not the same thing, but these medications are meant to help those with severe mental disorders or issues. Now, on the other hand, I also believe that there are a lot of people also in mental hospitals today at this very moment in some of these hospitals in our city that are really suffering from spiritual problems. It's these people that need liberation from whatever distressing spirit is tormenting them, is, you know, I would say, you know, there, there's, certain, there's a certain depression where you feel, you know, hopeless. You feel like there's no, you know, you're unloved and you feel like there's no hope for the future. And, well, yeah, and there are certain occasions if it's not, you know, severe, it's not, again, I'm not a doctor, but, you know, there's a lot of people who are suffering from depression who can only be liberated from that depression by placing their faith and trust in Jesus. By seeing and understanding that Jesus can give them the hope, the hope that they're looking for. He can give them the, the love that they seek, that they've been searching for their whole entire lives. The, the uh, the love and attention that they've been un unable to receive, the fulfillment that alcohol can't bring, that drugs can't bring, that pornography can't bring, that men, other men, other women can't bring. Jesus can fulfill all those things. So yes, there's, you know, I think if people just saw Jesus for who he really is and placed their faith and trust in him, I think there'd be a, a good percentage of those in mental hospitals that would, wouldn't be there anymore. But again, these are the ones that need liberation. Well, you know, back to our passage here. It's obvious to everyone in King Saul's court, those who are serving him, that what the source of his problem is. What's interesting about this is that same thing happens to us. Everyone knows about the problem, but the person who has a problem can't see it, can't understand it, doesn't get it. And again, our spiritual condition is often more apparent to others than it is to ourselves. This is why it's important to heed the counsel and advice from those who are who really care about you, 
who are looking out for your best interest. You know, if I, I tell you this, if, if I come up to you and I tell you, hey, you know, I see that you're, you know, spiritually, there's something going on there and, you know, I, I'm doing it because I, I see something that isn't right and I just want you to be aware of it and correct it. I'm not going to, obviously I wouldn't know what it is, but only you would unless you tell me, but, you know, my intentions aren't to come at you, to attack you, to condemn you or anything. It's just, you know, I see something and I, you know, just mention it because I care. You know, I love every single one of you that are, that are here. And obviously I want you to be as close to the Lord as, as you possibly can be. If anything's getting in the way, you know, I want you to address it and have the Lord to help you remove it. So when this happens, don't be so quick to snap back at them, at those who are pointing these things out to you. Because again, they may see something that you're completely unaware of. So Saul's servants proposed music as a solution. And so the king commanded that one be found and brought to him. If you think about it, essentially Saul's servants advise him to find what we would call today a worship leader. So their task now was to find someone who could use music to bring the love, peace, and power of God to Saul. Thus, what the king needed was to be led into worship, and it now became a priority to seek out a man to do the job. Music, ladies and gentlemen, is a powerful instrument that has a potential to touch the soul of a person. That's why there's a certain kind of music called soul music. You know, I enjoy different kinds of music. I think I haven't met a single person who has told me I don't like music. You know, there's different kinds of music that will get us into different kinds of moods. There's music that will get you all hyped up, you know, to, to begin something. I, you know, I, my son often tells me, he's told me, like, I've asked him, so what gets you hyped up before you go skating? And so, you know, he's, you know, he's kind of mentioned a few, few songs. And, and uh, you know, when I feel nostalgic, I'll play certain kind of music that will bring back good memories, good times when I was younger, the oldies and on Sunday, mor on Sunday mornings, afternoons, evenings. Um, uh, that often brings me back to my childhood days. Uh, you know, I, I listen to, there are times I listen to, to punk rock, hard rock, you know, like, when I want, whenever I want to get pumped. But my point being that, um, again, it, it brings different moods, different, different times of the day. But I'll tell you what, when I'm in worship, it's completely, totally different because it's 
me singing directly to the Lord. Me giving him my heart, my, my soul to him. And, and the music that the words, they do, they touch me deeply. You know, I, I couldn't help but to, you know, one of the songs that played, you know, this, this morning really just touched me. It, it touched me. I've heard it a bunch of times, but, you know, this time it just, it really, really got to me. You know, it reminded me, like, I, God, there's nothing I did, and God still went after me, still, even in my worst state, He still went out and searched for me. You know, and I, when I think about it, it's like, you know, what an amazing, beautiful God that He did that for me when I didn't deserve it, when... You know, I did so many horrible things, but he loved me that much that he wouldn't give up on. Sorry. Um, but yeah, like I said, music has a way of just touching soul. Depending on the kind of music and the occasion, again, it can stir a range of emotions. The theologian Martin Luther once wrote, Music is hateful and intolerable to the devil. I truly believe, and I don't mind saying that there is no art like music next to theology. It is, it is the only art next to theology that can calm the agitations of the soul, which plainly show that the devil, the source of anxiety and, anxiety and sadness, flees from the sound of music as he does from religious worship. That is why the scriptures are full of psalms and hymns in which praise is given to God. That is why when we gather around God's throne in when we gather around God's throne in heaven, we shall sing his glory. Music is the perfect way to express our love and devotion to God. It is one of the most magnificent and delightful presents God has given us. Be careful. Be careful what you listen to. Be careful of, because it, it does. I do believe that it, you know, it can, the devil can also use it to affect you in a negative way. Music is good. God created it for a reason and purpose. And really that reason and purpose was to, to glorify him through it. I've always thought that if the most famous, well-known musicians, singers, really had a heart for the Lord, we'd, we'd have so many amazing songs, so many more beautiful worship songs, because they've been gifted with that gift of writing songs, singing songs, and man, I can only imagine. But again, that's what Saul needed, was music. Where providentially, one of Saul's servants knew about David. Already had a good reputation. He was described as a skillful musician, a valiant man. And again, he was, he was just a shepherd boy, but this is what he was known as. A valiant man, a warrior, eloquent, handsome, and the Lord was with him. 
David, the shepherd boy, was a musician. He was a worship. All those lonely nights, he learned, well, he must have learned how to play the lyre out there and all those little times out there by himself with the sheep. He learned how to play the lyre and probably learned how to just write songs and, and actually read the Psalms. Those are all, a lot of them are pretty much songs written to God. So you can see, you know, again, where his heart was and, and what was going on. He was an amazing musician, beautiful words. And obviously, again, he, he knew how to play uh, that instrument wonderfully. He was valiant, a warrior. Obviously, when you're a shepherd, you got to learn how to fight, how to defend the sheep. He wasn't scared of doing what was needed to defend what he was called to protect. The story turns decisively within with the appearance of David. Thereafter, the king invites David into his court. Now, interestingly, interestingly, Saul here unwittingly summons the very one who now possesses the spirit and will, in the end, displace him. But notice that David is an intruder, nor does he force his way in, but comes by royal invitation. Well, David's ministry to Saul does all that Saul might have hoped for. Saul was clearly desperate to have the spirit of life available to him rather than the evil spirit that tormented him. And the story here makes it clear that David was able to do that for him. So if you think about it again, basically Saul had life only because David meditated on him. And thus, again, if you really think about it, David essentially became a life giver to Saul. Unwittingly, Saul had become dependent on the one designated to succeed him. Now, the rest of the passage informs us, informs us of the relationship Saul had with David and that it was a positive one. As a matter of fact, it was so good that verse 21 says that Saul loved him very much. Well, what this tells us is that David must have had just one of those love, was one of those just lovable characters that you just love spending your time around. He was just one of those guys that, man, dude, you, I love you, man. You're just awesome. You know, you, he just really loved David. And he brought, he must have also had one of those characters that brought life into any room he walked into. Well, David became Saul's armor bearer. And, and as such, he was responsible to carry the king's armor, to stand nearby the king when there was a battle going on, and was also readily available to carry out the king's orders and wishes. So he was always there by his side, always readily available to him. So being so close to the king, David would have gained some valuable insight into what it was, uh, what it meant to be, or 
insight into what was involved in being a king. Now, Saul, again, wasn't aware of this, but God, in his providence, placed David, God's choice for king, in his presence as his musician and his armor bearer. Therefore, again, it's likely he learned a considerable amount about what it meant to function as king during this time. As I mentioned in my introduction, this passage here illustrates the cooperative way in which God's will and and desire for our lives are worked out in our everyday affairs of life. You see, we often go about our life's activities without much thought about what God's desire might be in any given in any given set of circumstances. As Christians, we are committed to the idea that God is at work in our lives, directing, guiding, and in some instances, cajoling. But we are not often consciously aware of the specifics of his involvement. We're not frequently reminded that God is working behind the scenes to enable us to fulfill his greatest and best for our lives. Furthermore, we're often confused about how it all fits together. How can God's call and purpose for my life possibly be related to the messy affairs around me, which often seems completely at odds with what, would ex- what we would expect God to be achieving? We may often be as confused and feel uncertain as David when he went from being an unknown shepherd boy to the next anointed king to now being in the royal palace. It was a big shift. It was a big change in his life. Little does he realize that precisely through his musical talents that he will eventually gain access to the court and that the anointing oil designates something quite specific in God's will for David. Now, all this will happen sooner rather than later in David's life. But as but he has to walk through these circumstances somewhat in the dark, just trusting in the Lord, trusting in God. He is simply, he is, he is left simply to do his best without having the big picture. So it often is with us as believers as well. We have to keep going, even though we can't see the big picture. We have to keep walking in, our, in faith. We have to keep being obedient. Even though it's a big mess around us and there's all kinds of horrible things happening. And we have to trust God that he has a plan and purpose for us and that it's good. Now, what I'm going to do now next is read the entirety of chapter 17. And then just briefly go over just the main aspects of this famous story. Again, this will serve as, if you haven't read this story in a while, it will serve as a good reminder. If you've never read it, let me share it with you for the first time. 1 Samuel chapter 17. The Philistines gathered their forces for war at Succoth, 
in Judah and camped between Soko and Azekah in Aphisdam, Aphisdamim. Saul and the men of Israel gathered and camped in the valley of Elah. Then they lined up in battle formation to face the Philistines. The Philistines were standing in, on one hill and the Israelites were standing on another hill with a ravine between them. Then a champion named Goliath from Gath came out from the Philistine camp. He was nine feet, nine inches tall. Do you think this, the roof here, from the floor to the roof is 10 feet tall. Um, he was nine feet, nine inches tall. Um, he wore bronze, a bronze helmet and bronze scale armor that weighed 125 pounds. There was a bronze armor, there was bronze armor on his shins and a bronze javelin was slung between his shoulders. His spear shaft was like a weaver's beam and the iron point of his, of his spear weighed 15 pounds. In addition, a shield bearer was walking in front of him. He stood and shouted to the Israelite battle formations, Why do you come, up, come out to line up in battle formation? He asked them. Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose one of your men and have him come down against me. If he wins in a fight against me and kills me, we will be your servants. But if I win against him and kill him, then you will be our servants and serve us. Then the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel today. Send me a man so we can fight each other. When Saul and all Israel heard these words from the Philistine, they lost their courage and were terrified. Now David was the son of the Ephratite from Bethlehem of Judah named Jesse. Jesse had eight sons and during Saul's reign was already an old man. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to, to the war and their names were Eliab, the first bird, firstborn, Amadibadab, the next, and Shammah, the third. And David was the youngest. The three oldest had followed Saul, but David kept going back and forth from Saul to tend his father's flock in Bethlehem. Every morning and evening for 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand. One day, Jesse had told his son David, take this half bushel of roasted grain along with these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Also take these 10 portions of cheese to the field, commander. Check on the well-being of your brothers and bring a confirmation from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the Valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. So David got up early in the morning, left the flock with someone to keep it, loaded, uh, loaded up and set out as Jesse had charged him. He arrived at the perimeter of the camp as the army was marching out to its battle formation, shouting their battle cry. Israel and the Philistines lined up in battle formation facing each other. David left his supplies in the care of, his quartermaster, of the quartermaster and ran to the battle line. When he arrived, he asked his brothers how they were. While he was speaking with them, suddenly the champion named Goliath, the Philistine from Gath, came forward from the Philistine battle line and shouted his usual words, which David heard. When all the Israelite men saw Goliath, they retreated from him, terrified. Previously, an Israelite man had declared, do you see this man who keeps coming out? He comes to defy Israel. The, he comes to defy Israel. The king will make 
the man who kills him very rich and will give him his daughter. The king will also make the family of that man's father exempt from paying taxes in Israel. David spoke to the men who were standing with him. What will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Just who is this uncircumcised Philistine that should defy the armies of the living God? The troops told him about the offer, concluding, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. David's older, older, oldest brother, Eliab, listened as he spoke to the men, and he became very angry with him. Why did you come down here? He asked him. Why did you leave those few sheep with, what did you leave those few sheep with in the wilderness? I know your arrogance and your evil heart. You came down, down to see the battle. What have I done now? protested David. It was just a question. Then he turned from those beside him to others in front of him and asked about the offer. The people gave him the same answer as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul. So he had David brought to him. David, David said to Saul, don't let anyone be discouraged by him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. But Saul replied, you can't go fight this Philistine. You're just a youth. He's been a warrior since he was young. David answered Saul, your servant has been tending his father's sheep. Whenever a lion or a bear came and carried off a lamb from the flock, I went after it, struck it down, and rescued the lamb from his mouth. If it reared up against me, uh, I would grab it by its fur, strike it down, and kill it. Your servant has killed lions and bears. This, is a, this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Then David said, The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and may the Lord be with you. Then Saul had his own military clothes put on David. He put, he put a bronze helmet on David's head and had him put on armor. David strapped his sword over the military clothes and tried to walk, but he was not used to them. I can't walk in these, David said to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off. Instead, he took his staff in his hand. He chose five smooth stones from the wadi and put them in, in the pouch in uh, his shepherd's bag. Then, with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. The Philistine came closer and closer to David with a shield bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he despised him because he was just a youth, healthy and handsome. He said to David, am I a dog that you come against me with sticks? Then he cursed David by his gods. Come here, the Philistine called to David, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with a sword, spear, and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of armies, the God of the ranks of Israel, you have defied him. Wow, I'm getting chills. Today, the Lord will, will hand you over to, to me. Today, I'll strike you down, remove your head, and give the corpses of the Philistine camp to the birds of the sky and the wild creatures of the earth. Israel has a God, and his whole assembly will know that this is not by sword or by spear, that the Lord says, for the battle is the Lord's. He will hand you over to us. When the Philistines started forward, 
uh, started forward to attack him, David ran quickly to the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in the bag and took out a stone, slung it, and hit the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank, sank right, sank into his forehead, and he fell face down to the ground. David defeated the Philistine with his sling and stone. David overpowered the Philistine and killed him without having a sword. David ran, stood over him. He grabbed the Philistine's sword, pulled it from its sheath, and used it to kill him. Then he cut off his head. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they fled. The men of Israel of Judah rallied, shouting their battle cry, and chased the Philistines to the entrance of the valley and to the gates of Ekron. Philistine bodies were strewn all along the Sharim road to Gath and Ekron. When the Israelites returned from the pursuit of the Philistines, they plundered their camps. David took Goliath's head and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put Goliath's weapons in his own tent. When Saul had seen David going out to confront the Philistine, he asked Abner, the commander of his army, whose son is this youth, Abner? Your majesty, as surely as you live, I don't know, Abner replied. The king said, find out whose son this young man is. When he returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the Philistine's head still on his, head, on his hand. Saul said to him, whose son are you, young man? The son of your servant Jesse of Bethlehem, David answered. We're now at, the, at, David's, at David's third point of entry into Israel's narrative. Already he has been secretly anointed and privately received by Saul. Here now, this chapter, in this chapter, we see the shepherd boy, David, bear all the marks of spirit-filled leadership. Again, just going through some of the details of the story real quickly. You have the two armies facing one another, the Philistines and Israel. Apparently intimidated by each other, they decided that the outcome should be determined by a contest of champions. And they would engage each other in combat. The Philistines offered Goliath a giant, and his description is, is mentioned there. But Israel couldn't find anyone worthy. Not even Saul stepped up. The king stepped up as he had done before. If you remember, he stepped up against the Amalekites. He stepped up, he stepped up in other battle, battles that he had. But that was before the spirit of the Lord departed from him. So it seems that as the spirit left Saul, so did his courage. Again, we're given a brief description of Goliath. I won't go over that again. Um, well, at last, David heard the dilemma. And having been sent to the camp of Israel with provisions for his brothers, and heard what was going on, and heard what the Philistine was saying, and the, you know, what was being offered for anyone who killed that Philistine, he begged Saul to let him take on the Philistine. Reluctantly, Saul agreed, and David, 
Saul agreed, and David, armed only, only with the confidence in God, a sling and five smooth stones, slew Goliath and brought back his severed head in triumph. When the conflict was over, Saul inquired as to the identity of the young warrior and learned that it was that he was David, son of Jesse. Now the question here is, why couldn't Saul re- recognize David, who already served for him for some time as a musician and armor bearer? Well, it's a couple answers. One answer is that Saul wasn't asking who David was, but for the first time was curious about David's family connections. Whose son is this youth? When David himself was interrogated, he didn't say, I am David but only I am the son of your servant, Jesse of Bethlehem. Another and perhaps better solution is that David's previous service had been brief and intermittent, and now several years had passed since Saul had last seen him. If, for example, David had only been 12 years old when he came to Saul as a musician and had stayed off and on for only a year or so, He might have been 17 or 18 by the time the Philistine episode had taken place and was no longer recognizable to Saul. If you've ever seen a young boy grow into a young man, there's sometimes, yeah, they're unrecognizable, especially if they have beards and their hair's all unkept and, you know, or it's just long. They look totally different than they did when they were young boys. So this may have happened. He just couldn't recognize him anymore. In any case, after this episode in the Valley of Elah, Saul never again had any difficulty knowing who David was. That day, David won a great victory. But truth be told, it wasn't greater than the victory Jesus won at the cross. But here's the thing. David's victory over Goliath is is a picture in advance of the victory Jesus won for his people. Let me explain. Both David and Jesus represented their people. Whatever happened to the representative also happened to God's people. Both David and Jesus fought the battle on ground that it was that that rightfully belonged to God's people ground they had lost. Both David and Jesus fought when their enemy was able to dominate the people of God through fear and intimidation alone. Both David and Jesus were sent to the battleground by their father. Both David and Jesus were scorned and rejected by their brethren. Both David and Jesus fought the battle without concern with human strategies or conventional wisdom. Both David and Jesus won the battle, but saw that their enemies did not then, uh, saw that their enemies didn't then, or didn't give up easily or willingly. Both David and Jesus fought a battle where victory was assured even before the battle started. Now here I'm going to start to wrap this up, but this dramatic narrative shows why the Lord had David anointed. 
the youths had a distinct quality that made them more suitable to be king than either Saul or his brothers. This quality was that David cared more about the honor of God than his own safety or security. Now, as we looked, as we look at how at this passage today, it's it's best not to allegorize it with discussions of how to overcome giants in life. Rather, it's appropriate to ask, what kind of person does God choose to use? The answer, of course, is people who care more about honoring the Lord than preserving their own safety and security. Now, if we simply stick to the narrative, to the, to the issues that rise, arise in this entire story, there is, use, there is a useful metaphor that we can learn from. David is an example of the faithful and brave servant of Yahweh, the brave and faithful servant of God. And through his faith and action, God wins victory over, the blas- over his blasphemous enemies. In this sense, all of us benefit by learning from this text that God grants victory over his Goliaths and that our faith and action are keys to the battle. For example, as Christians, we shouldn't be surprised when we encounter opposition to what God has called us to do. The Bible teaches in a variety of ways that there are often, there will often be challenges to God's sovereign rule in the world, whether it's the Amalekites attacking Israel's rear guard as they uh, departed Egypt, Amorite coalitions uniting against Joshua in the promised land, imposing looking Philistines, screaming offensive challenges at Saul's troops or enemies of Jesus plotting his destruction. The world has never lacked enemies of God's people. Unfortunately, though, the church history also presents many examples of Christians who fail to interact redemptively, redemptively to, hostiles, to hostile surrounding cultures. For instance, when the Christian community in Germany responded to the rise of nationalism and fascism in varied and often disingenuous ways, oh, this happened when... when you know, the, the Christian community responded negatively or didn't respond well to the rise of nationalism and fascism. Now, it's true that many members of the German evangelical church formed a confessing church movement that openly opposed Nazi racism and brutality, and its leaders were imprisoned, exiled, or executed. And if you've never read the biography of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I definitely recommend you read that. But for the majority of the church in Germany, it was easier simply to look the other direction. At that time, the German church failed to reject radical nationalism and to oppose vigorously the growth of Nazism in the earliest 20th century. 
the church essentially failed to function as a transforming element of the culture. In the face of clear opposition to biblical truth, David's speech and courageous service in 1 Samuel chapter 17 offer an example of today's church to emulate. We need to stand up and be courageous. Stand up for the Lord, not cower, not be scared. When everybody is, wants to hide and not fight, we as Christians need to stand up and speak out. As I briefly mentioned, we also need to be, need to be careful in associating the life and stories of biblical characters into our own lives. The fact of the matter is, this is a story about how David's faith led him to be victorious over the giant Goliath with a slingshot and one stone. But if you truly want to put this story in a broader perspective, this isn't a story about you. This isn't a story about me. This isn't a story about how, you know, one college team is going up against a bigger college team in some sports game. It's not how one politician is going up against a bigger politician. And it's not about that at all. And I think it cheapens the story and it really takes away from the true, what the true story is, is about. It's not about those things. It's not about, again, you or me going up against an enormous obstacle. No, this is also a story about Jesus. Hear me out. Like David, you have the anointed one of God who receives the spirit, goes out into the wilderness where an enemy is presenting himself before the people of God. 40 days and 40 nights. He crushes the enemy's head. In the Hebrew text, it describes the enemy as wearing snake armor. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Jesus is baptized and receives the Holy Spirit out in the wilderness. The serpent is presenting himself 40 days and 40 nights. Then Jesus withstands the temptation to bypass the cross and in doing that, crushes the serpent's head. In Revelation chapter 12, how do, we, how do we overcome the evil one? Through the blood of the lamb. That's the instrumentality by which the evil one is defeated. See, in all actuality, we're not David. We're not David. We're the Israelites who are cowering in fear in the corner because we can't face the giant on our own. We can't beat our enemies on our own. So we need a David to stand in our place and to defeat our enemies. But then what happens after that? David slings the rock and crushes the enemy's head. Then David takes his sword and cuts his head off. Their enemies run. The Israelite army pursues. So see, you can face your enemies 
And you can have courage to face your enemies. But you only do that once you recognize that we don't fight for victory in the Christian life. We fight from victory. So it's a picture of sanctification, but a sanctification that is based in what Jesus has done in saving us. Ladies and gentlemen, again, this, we have a good picture here of what Jesus did on the cross for each and every one of us. Jesus saved you. He died on the cross for you to forgive you of your sins, to free you from the grasp, from the chains of sin and death, to give you everlasting life. He did that. He died for you. You didn't deserve it. You didn't. Actually, you deserved the full punishment, the full wrath of God. But Jesus took it on for you there on the cross. And when he died and rose again three days later, he became the first one. He proved that we're going to have everlasting life. He proved who he was. So if you're watching and listening and you're ready to commit your life to the Lord, if you're ready to receive Jesus, surrender your life to Jesus Christ, to receive him, receive the Holy Spirit, to make his dwelling in you. If you're ready to do that, if you're ready to be born again, I want you to close your eyes and bow your head. And with all sincerity, with all your heart, I want you to pray this. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I admit that I'm a sinner. And I ask you to forgive me. I believe that you died for my sins and three days later rose from the grave, rose from the dead. I now turn from my sins. I repent and confess you as my personal Lord and Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for saving me. I now ask you to fill me with the Holy Spirit so that he may make his home in me and so that he may help guide me in my new born-again life. In your name, amen. If you prayed that, welcome to the family of God. Spirit is now living in you. Again, your life will never be the same. You'll never be able to sin again without that conviction coming from God. Not a condemnation, a conviction. So reach out to us. Let us know. You pray that. We want to 
uh, hear from you. Thank you again for joining us this, this week, and we look forward to, to spending time with you again next week as we continue in, the, in our study of 1 Samuel. So I hope you have a great day. I hope you have a great week. Be safe. We're praying for you. Again, if you need anything, please reach out to us. Goodbye and farewell. Thank you so much for visiting us here at Fresh Vision Church. We hope that Pastor Angel's message blessed you this morning. We want to encourage you to spread the gospel by sharing this message through social media. If you want more information about Fresh Vision Church, such as our service time, how to get connected, or you want to hear current or past studies, please visit our website at fvcelp.org. If you're interested in donating to the Ministry of Fresh Vision Church, there is a PayPal link in the video description below. Once again, thank you so much for visiting us here at Fresh Vision Church. We pray that you have a blessed week, and we hope to see you again soon.